0: Pastor Sherman. It's so great. Doesn't it feel fitting to be here together as two churches worshiping one Lord? It seems like that's what Christmas should be about. And so it's so great to be able to do this together as, uh, as churches. I'll, I'll warn you now that, uh, that today's Christmas message isn't going to be perhaps your typical message, but I trust that it's going to be encouraging to you and lead us all to worship Jesus and know him better. Uh, the, the obvious must be stated that Christmas celebrates the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke 2.11, it says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The birth and establishment of God's kingdom uh, was not as people imagined. When we think about what, uh, uh, what they would have thought was going on when the Messiah came, Jesus was actually a disappointment. It's not what they imagined him to be. They were hoping that he would rule a country. Instead, he sought to rule people's hearts. He hoped that They hoped that he would save them from uh, external oppression. Instead, he saved them from personal sin. He didn't exactly meet the expectations of those who were anticipating his coming. And I think that the same can be true for us today, that what we hope that Jesus would be for us isn't always exactly who he is. That uh, we think that perhaps our problems are about Ottawa, or about our bosses, or about something other than our own hearts. Yet it's Jesus, uh, when he comes, and what he announces is the transformation of hearts. And out of that transformation, every other change occurs. So the question that we want to be able to ask this morning is how are we to prepare our hearts to trust in this kind of king. A king that doesn't always meet the expectations that we imagine that he would have, but of course does something much better, which is about heart transformation. How do we prepare ourselves to receive him? Well, the best place to look is John the Baptist. His whole job was to prepare the people to receive Jesus Christ. His job description is outlined in uh, Luke chapter three, verse three. It says that John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus uh, was his forerunner, was John the Baptist. And the way that John sought to prepare the people was through a message of repentance. Now, we want to drill down on that and say, what exactly was this repentance about? What were they turning from and turning towards? And this is where, to me, it gets very interesting. As I was preparing for this in the last number of weeks and looking over what what John the Baptist was doing, it's not what I imagined him to do in preparing us to receive Jesus Christ. But listen to what's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. This is uh, an angel speaking to Zachariah, John's father, and this is how John's ministry is described. John will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And here's the interesting part that we want to focus on this morning. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here's the point. Uh, how are we to prepare for the Lord? For this this Lord maybe isn't who we exactly imagine to be, but it's something about changing our hearts. How do we prepare for this Lord? It's something about churning the hearts of parents toward their children and churning uh, the disobedient to the wise. This refers back to Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, which is the last verse of the Old Testament. So this is a big deal. This isn't some kind of side issue that uh, kind of slips in here. The end of the entire Old Testament ends with this verse, and this is what uh, Luke 1, 17 is alluding to. Malachi 4, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Now this is a strange way to prepare for Jesus to come. I wouldn't think of this. I would think of lots of other things that would be much more spiritual and and, uh, kind of heavenly, but uh, this seems to be the job description that's given to uh, John the Baptist. So how does churning the hearts of parents and children prepare us to receive Christ? Let's look first of all at the children and then we'll look at the parents. We'll pick on the children first. Uh, and by the way, here they're equated with the disobedient. So, so, well, we're all children, so I'm not picking on anybody. I hope you're a child. <laughs> <coughs> Anyways, so, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, this idea of the, of the disobedient to the wise, when we connect that to Malachi 4, we see that this is really a reference to children. And it's, a, it's an injunction to the children to churn from disobedience to the wisdom of your parents. So contrary to modern parenting styles, homes are where kids learn to obey. Do I have an amen from uh, current parents? Uh, this is the, there we go, thank you. <clears throat> and this is the main thing that's going on. What a, I, when you think about kind of modern parenting, you think that our primary job description is to empower our children to be well, for Christians, it's all God designed them to be, but if we're not, it's simply to empower them to be whatever they imagine themselves to be. And so the, uh, the idea is, is that you're mostly about casting off restraints, casting off external pressures, so that somehow they could come to tap into that which is their most essential part of their being and become all that they were meant to be. So this would be the primary thing that I think that many parents think that we're about, But what we see in Ephesians chapter 6, we see a much different story. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father. The primary thing that children are working through is how to obey parents. That's the primary thing going on. How am I going to? Well, of course, when they're young, uh, it's, uh, well, it depends. But it's maybe a little bit more straightforward because they're so dependent. But as they grow up, uh, this becomes uh, very, very interesting. I've been listening to, I'm a graduate from Regent College, and uh, one of my professors was Dr. Klaus Bachmühle. Isn't that a great academic's name, <laughs> Bachmuel. It just sounds smart. <laughs> and, uh, and he was my ethics professor, and I've been re-listening to, a, uh, to his courses on, uh, on ethics, on the Ten Commandments. And here's what he says about the command to honor your mother and father. He says, first of all, it's a command given primarily to adults, not children. Uh, children don't really have much of a choice. But as you grow up, you have a choice. And the, uh, the call is that even in your adult years to stay honoring your parents. The other interesting thing that he said was that the, uh, this fourth commandment is actually an overlap between the first commandments, which is all about our relationship with God, to the second set, which is all about our relationship with one another, that this honor your mother and father is in between the two. That somehow, if we would honor our mother and father, that somehow blesses and enables us to honor God. It's a transition command, highlighting both our responsibility to bring honor to God and somehow that looks like honoring our mother and father. That is very, very interesting. That there needs to be a connection in our hearts between how we treat our parents to ultimately what our relationship with God is going to look like. Now, I don't know if you've made that connection. I don't like making that connection. I, I remember the way that I, I, would, I would treat my mother, especially in my teenage years. Get this. Uh, my my mother would sometimes drive me to school if I missed the bus or had a doctor's appointment. I mean, it's just so embarrassing to say this out loud, but what I would ask her to do is I would ask my mother to drop me off two blocks away from the school. I was so embarrassed <laughs> to be seen with her. I would just drop me, like, over there, and then I'll, I'll just walk as if I walked all the way here. And I, that, I mean, that's the least of what I did. But, uh, There is, in the Bible, a profound correlation between our relationship with our parents and our relationship with God. There are two things that children need to learn. The first is a heartfelt obedience. It's one thing to do what you're told. It's another thing to want to do what you're told. And I remember, uh, as I grew older, I developed opinions and I had ideas about things. And I would run these things by my mother. My father passed away when I was a teenager. I'd run these things by my, my mother and she would disagree with me. And uh, uh, my mother passed away during uh, the pandemic. But just to give context, she, has, she never touched a computer. She, she has no idea about any kind of technology She's a little bit older than I am, obviously. And so I, you know, I'm enlightened because I live in a technological society and, uh, and I would explain to her, you know, my opinions and she would just disagree. And I would have to wrestle through uh, lots of reasons why I shouldn't listen to her. Lots of reasons, profound reasons, in fact. I have a theological education. She doesn't have any of that. She has her grade ten. And uh, I had to work through a heartfelt honor and obedience to my mother. And there's something about that that profoundly didn't just shape my soul in an abstract way, but shaped how I would view God. A God that I can't see with my eyes, don't always fully understand, but I'm nevertheless called to obey with my whole heart. Something about my relationship with her shaped how I would receive Christ as king. More than that, so children must learn two things. This heartfelt obedience, not just a superficial obedience. It's easy to just be compliant, I suppose. But it also says to honor your parents in the Lord. And so somehow we need to connect that what we're doing toward our parents is actually a reflection of how our hearts really treat Jesus Christ. Um, Those of you who don't know me, uh, Debbie and I have uh, 10 children, I think in counting, Uh, in that we have many kinds of children who have come to us, not all by natural means. Um, But over the years, our home has just been a home often for the fatherless, where there's people who were either estranged from their parents, have a difficult relationship with them. But really, Debbie and I have devoted our life to being an open home that would be parents to whoever would like to be parented. Now we've observed something over these years. Uh, Many people really love the idea of being parented more than the reality of being parented. We've come to discover this. So now if you think about uh, some kids who have grown up in a really, really difficult home, their hearts long to, to have a parent. It's just in us. We just long for that. I've longed for that. My father died, as I said, when I was young. And I've always longed for a father figure in my life. But when a father figure comes along, that's a different story. And it somehow uh, uh, runs contrary to my self-will to actually uh, receive a father or receive a mother. And this has been our experience that Uh, People come into our home going, you know, just, wow, I feel like I'm in a home. And then there comes a moment when uh, there's a disagreement with them. And now the idea of of parenthood, of being parented, just seems oppressive and, and not at all what we were imagining it to be. But we've discovered something else. And this is a profound thought that those who would let themselves be parented by us somehow discovered Jesus Christ in that process. It's just fascinating. It's just fascinating to me that somehow whatever somebody needs to work through in their hearts to let themselves have an authority figure in their life that they would trust and open up their hearts to, somehow that's the best preparation for us to be able to receive Jesus as Lord. Those two things are powerfully connected. Fascinating. Well, what about parents? <clears throat> Ephesians 6 forces, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction, and here's that phrase, of the Lord. The goal of parents, and I really believe this, the goal of parents is to redeem authority. I think everyone in this room, for sure it's true, has had a unhealthy, perhaps even abusive, experience of human authority. I'm sure it's true. That people use their power to control and manipulate and use it for self-serving purposes. I'm sure that we could all tell stories of that. And somehow the primary job of a parent is to help children experience authority as good news. That's a high calling because there is so much in our society pressing against us. And uh, I hear more and more in society that the problem isn't just bad authority, it's authority at all. And we think that the solution to to human difficulties is to remove all authority. And I find it fascinating that John the Baptist, the culmination of the Old Testament even, would, would, would point toward the most core authority figure in society, and it's the parent. And somehow parents are to help children experience something different about authority that is life-giving. And we do this, first of all, by not exasperating. Exasperating simply means to force or, dare I say, nag. That the power that we have is not imposed, it's not simply because I'm bigger and stronger and louder or whatever and, and you know, we pay the bills. It's none of that. It's something about hearts we don't exasperate our children by loading, loading them down with laws that are mostly self-serving for our purposes. But then it says the, instru- the training instruction of the Lord, that just as we're not to be uh, exasperate our children, we are to instruct them. We're not to be passive. We're not to just hope that it all works out okay. But we're to invest in our children with our whole hearts. And the challenge of parenting is to parent for the benefit of our kids, not ourselves. I remember one of my professors saying in teaching a course on parenting, thought it was a strange way to talk, but I believe that it's true. That that whenever kids are very young, we are God. That uh, very, very young children don't have the capacity to to imagine worship a God they can't see. And so to young children, uh, we are God in a sense. And research has shown time and again that people's experience of their parents is the primary lens through which they view God. It's a high calling. So how do we do this? Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 7, gives gives a powerful call to parents it begins with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, uh, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, there's uh, How do we do this? The first thing that parents need to concentrate on is their own relationship with God. To love God with all your heart and soul and strength. To love him. The best gift that we can give to our children is our love of Jesus. Not how perfect we are, not our profound wisdom of which we have lots. It's our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus. Not simply our sterile commitment to obedience to him, but our heart devotion to him. In our obedience coming out of that love and affection. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we just talk about the one who we love the most, Jesus. One of the things that, um, that I uh, have done with my boys, uh, I have to figure out other ways with my girls, but one of the things that I do with my boys is we go mountain biking. I love mountain biking. <clears throat> and uh, so they couldn't help it, but they were brought along into my hobby. And, uh, uh, but this is how it works for me. I was intentional. I would pick trails to ride in which we could ride up together side by side to talk. We'd have fun going down in a minute. But half the fun for me was pedaling up the hill beside one of my sons talking about Jesus, talking about our lives. And when we, we didn't walk together. We rode together. But it's the same idea. But what we do is we have a personal relationship with God and then we live that out in front of our children. And we share about how his love and his power have transformed us and how it's good news. I just think what a great job description to have. I don't know about you but I always feel insecure as being a parent, I just never feel good enough And if you feel wise enough or godly enough, uh, committed enough or whatever the the enough is, I can love Jesus in front of my kids. I can do that. And as I love Jesus in front of my kids, there's something about uh, uh, their image of who he is becomes transformed through that relationship. So in conclusion... It's true what you hear in, uh, in secular media today. It's true that Christmas is about family. Yeah. But maybe it's about family not in the way that we imagined. That as we, the, the, uh, the call that God gives to families is that as we, uh, as uh, we churn toward Jesus by churning toward our parents and children, we turn toward Jesus by turning towards our parents and children. So let me ask you in this Christmas, this special Christmas, how can you turn your heart towards your parents and children? How can you do that? What would that practically look like? What would it look like to honor your parents, whether they passed away or not? What would it look like to. Uh, uh, for parents to, to turn their heart toward their children, turn their hearts, what would that look like? And as we work that through, we're turning our hearts toward Jesus. That's what the scripture talks about. Matthew twenty five forty says that what you do the least of these you've done to me also. Maybe the least of these is our, is our parents or our children. But whatever we do to one another, we do toward Christ. I find it interesting, the disappointment that the original followers of Jesus had, that they were expecting a king to conquer Rome, and instead he conquered their hearts. I can imagine their disappointment. What's fascinating to me is that Jesus actually did conquer Rome that he conquered Rome, it took about 300 years, but he conquered Rome without ever having his followers lift a sword. How do you conquer the most powerful empire at that time? How do you do that? You do that by helping people have a new heart relationship with God and with one another. Our society is going to be dramatically changed. Not if we take up placards and and fight for our particular rights, our society is gonna be changed as our hearts in faith churn toward parents and children and in that becomes a reflection of our love and devotion to God. Christmas is more than sentimentality, it's a time for us to purify our hearts, to clarify Jesus as Lord, and to work that through in the context of family, I'd like to pray for us if we can invite the worship team, otherwise known as my son and daughter, to uh, to come forward. Father, we thank you for giving us such a concrete way to prepare yeah. for the coming of your Son. Yeah. It's not some abstract climbing a mountain to be alone. It's engaging in the most intimate and vulnerable relationships, human relationships that we can experience, drawing close to our parents, drawing close to our children. Thank you that that is the seedbed in which faith and love toward you is fostered. And so I pray for our hearts that there would no longer be a division between parents and children, and you. That these two things would get all jumbled up in our hearts and that we would recognize that we're only set free as we surrender to you in all that we are and in all the relationships that we experience. So, Father, we thank you for our parents. We thank you for our children. We thank you that in that relationship, we come to discover you. So do bless us with your presence as we worship you as our Lord and Savior today. Amen.